I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Show, brought to you by MTN Business. Subscribe on youtube.com slash techcentral, or subscribe to our daily newsletter at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, Brian Hutting is my next guest. Brian, I think you must be one of the people I've known in this industry the longest. It's really good to see you in the studio. Welcome. Thank you so much, Duncan. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to see you. And yes, we've known each other some time. Would it be rude to call you a veteran of the local industry? I'm happy for you to call me whatever you like. I'm still, I'm, I've got this Peter Pan uh, sort of syndrome that I... Yeah convinced I'm going to live forever <laughs> but, uh, and the little boy inside of me remains very wide awake but uh, yeah I am a veteran so there okay. we go I right. have to admit that Great. Yeah. now Brian you're a leadership specialist uh, you do things like helping companies uh, find uh, senior level resources you also coach and provide other services through your business SICAN yes. to uh, to businesses across uh, South Africa and I think in other countries as well indeed um so we're going to have a, a discussion about all about leadership today, which I'm really looking forward to. And it actually flows from a from an interview we did a, a few weeks ago with Colin yes. Govender of Ultron, uh, where yes. he spoke about the crisis of leadership in South Africa. And, we, and uh, I think that uh, dis- discussion um, hit home for you in a way. And uh, you want to unpack in some detail um, your views around leadership and the leadership crisis that we're facing in this country. And there's a heck of a lot to talk about around the subject. So I think we should uh, dive straight into it. Um, Brian, I, th- I, think, uh, I think maybe a good place to start would be to ask you, what is required of leadership in 2023 and how is that different to previous years? Well, uh, let me just make a, a, a foundational statement sure. saying what's required of leadership is integrity and authenticity and good intentionality. And that should have applied throughout the (laughs) the period building up to here and most certainly should apply moving forward because we live in very different times. We live in a very complex world. We live in a world of of great uncertainty in which that equation is going to increase and the rate of of change. We live in an accelerating universe and and change has continued to increase Mm -hmm. as we've gone along. We've, We've heard about and lived in and through the exponential world and uh, the stripping of past Moore's law and all those good things. And the world was challenged before COVID. Mm. Uh, People were trying to find their way in it and it affected different people uh, differently depending on the industries they were in because some were more more affected than others. But along came COVID and really rocked the boat. People Mm -hmm. uh, experienced and on a global stage. This was not happening in pockets here or there around the world. It happened everywhere. And people had to experience uh, conditions that were unprecedented. And that put people into uh, a challenging space. And we've come out of COVID uh, hoping that the world was going to sort of get better. And Mm. in fact, it's become even more volatile and mm. more uncertain and you know the the, the Russian Ukraine scenario and many others that we've got to look at and at the same time very strange behavior on behalf of political leaders around the world uh, not ideal mm. certainly don't fit the model you know and what we're seeing in terms of of leadership today is we as I mentioned earlier we live in a complex world 20th century was complicated and and businesses were able to complicated meaning and, and it, very often those two terms get interchanged which they're not they're not interchangeable they are two separate words <clears throat> and, and separate meanings complicated meaning something that you can apply process to and structure and plan and you can look to see a defined outcome to it and our world 
very much worked along that way. Post-war, we saw the industries and, and that build and grow and develop uh, mm. in the way that they did with that type of planning. General Motors, Apple, or the, the computer industry did that. But coming into the 20th, 21st century, the world has become complex and we have to approach it in a systemic way and we have to approach it in a way that, that is inclusive in more ways than, than what we've previously seen and understood inclusive to mean. Not just getting… Just expand on that. What do you mean by more inclusive? What? So you're needing to have more voices in the room. Okay. We're seeing that the, that the problems that we're facing and the dynamic of the continued change needs different thinking. Mm-hmm. And even though you've still got great people with great minds, you know, the, the Steve Jobs of the world, the Bill Gates of the world were amazing people with amazing minds and they forged and built incredible companies and changed the world mm-hmm. uh, in and through what they did. There's no question of that. The world's a different place because of it. But we're seeing uh, that today not one individual is going to stand out. So apart from the Elon Musks of the world who seem to to think that they can and, and <laughs> do a lot of that. But what if just a, a sidebar – Elon's success, apart from his own great vision and his incredible pertinacity and resolve, was he hired amazing people, amazing people, and empowered them and enabled them to get on with and, and to follow through and, and, and build on his dreams and to apply their creative thought. So what we're seeing today is we're needing leaders to move away from a traditional command and control mm-hmm. style of leadership towards a, a coaching, leaders coach, inclusive, transformational style of leadership. And here's an interesting piece. That of, must be very difficult for some leaders, though. Oh, hugely, yeah. hugely. But here's something that's going to really interest you if you didn't know about it. Some of the first pioneers of transformational <laughs> leadership was the U.S. Marines. Oh, yeah. So why did they do that? Because war that became non-conventional in the Gulf and in Afghanistan and Mm -hmm. uh, in Iraq, required people to be able to make decisions themselves. They couldn't wait for a sergeant or a lieutenant or a captain or somebody to shout and bark an order at them. They had to make a call on their own. The the military, Marines saw that and they introduced that type of shift Mm -hmm. and change. And and that birthed the whole team of teams and and lots of different things that came with it. And so it's, it's about helping people to, leaders today need to be able to dance. They need to be able to know when it's appropriate to step into which particular leadership architect type. There's a time for command and control. Mm -hmm. If people's lives are at risk or there's risk of life or limb, you don't have a time to have consensus and to have debate and have to inclusion. Then you need to Bock out an order in, mm-hmm. in order that people are, are protected. It but, must have been very difficult during COVID for those command and control type leaders in organizations when suddenly everyone had to go and work at home. There was no sight of people in the office. The CEO didn't really know where people were, what they were doing at any given time. Um, how, did, how did that impact leaders who, who had that approach prior to the pandemic? And I mean, it must have been a shock to the system. It, uh, it definitely uh, was a shock to the system. And, you know, a lot of it lies in the fact that we go through our lives, you know, we come through the educational chain at whatever point, mm-hmm. um, knowledgeable, informed, qualified, and a little bit clueless, and go through life <laughs> without a map and without a plan. That's a little bit clueless. <laughs> you know, and um, if you've got the smarts and, you, and you're pretty talented, yeah. you make a measure of success out of, out of what you're doing, mm-hmm. and that success tends to breed success. Mm. And so we we end up in this position where as we continue to move down this 
path on our journey through this time called life, our canvas might get bigger in terms of our IP and intellectual capital, but our view of it becomes narrower and narrower. And we continue so often to apply what's worked before. Mm. I mean, we've seen, seen the books, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And very, very true, you know. And, and so what, what happens is, is that people are so used to doing it. You know, I mean, how many times have people heard that expression? This is the way we do things around here. Mm. Mm. Well, guess what? That doesn't apply anymore because that may not work. Forbes magazine uh, published a statement quite some years back. They said that the companies and people most likely to fail are those that are successful. Gosh, wow, that's a bit of a, a turn for the books. But why? Because they're busy being successful and not necessarily checking out what's going down. Mm. And unless an event happens um, to redirect them or to cause them to step back and step up and look and say, is this what we're doing? Mm. Is this going to actually work for us? Um, and, and how do we need to do things differently? So we, we find uh, that leaders that are so steeped in that command and control, which, by the way, an interesting perspective here, over all the years of coaching, we've been coaching execs now for 22, 23 years, formally. Mm-hmm. We did informal coaching before them because we were defined as a career consultancy before okay. we moved into, into the business psychan, which we opened in 2001. Um, we've coached literally thousands of accomplished, successful ex- executives and leaders at different levels. We can say to you quite comfortably that the majority of them are motivated by fear, which is really quite surprising because you would think that these accomplished, successful people would be motivated by towards two type uh, goal-centric uh, initiatives. Which what, is what fear? fear? Fear of the competition? Just uh, And it's not a conscious thing. So it's mm. not that they would put up their hand and say, oh, by the way, I'm motivated by fear. Yeah. It's just that, that, that – and in fact, we wired – neurologically, to be have twice the propensity to avoid fear mm. than we do anything else mm. because it's part of our, our self-preservation mechanism and survival mechanism. It goes back to our hunter-gatherer days. Right? Exactly. Mm. So, so we naturally tend to move into to a, a always operate out of a risk avoidance model. Yeah. If you think about the dictionary definition of risk, delightful. Risk, it says, and you can look at almost any definition, mm. it says danger, hazard, peril, Potential loss. It doesn't say, oh, by the way, when embraced and managed can bring about great accomplishments. Mm. Every, six, every single accomplishment in the history of mankind was previously deemed to be impossible. But by taking huge leaps of faith, embracing large amounts of risk, mm. man accomplished these things along the way, which has brought us to where we are today. Cameras, microphones, TV, internet, mm-hmm. these good things. Hannibal took elephants over the Alps. Columbus stood on the deck of the Santa Maria or the Nino or the Pinta, I don't know which boat he was standing on, and he said, I'm going to find a new way to India. And America got in the way. The Wright brothers, et cetera, et cetera, we can go on and on. Does this propensity to take risk then make Elon Musk one of the world's great leaders? Look, I think I, 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 he, he, he sort of borders on, on Cavalier, I mean, mm. if not, but, but <laughs> I, 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 I love his, what I really liked about Elon Musk, particularly mm. in the early days, was his absolutely relentless pertinacity and conviction mm. about his belief and his pursuit. And what I think when people, people have forgotten about Elon, the things that he's done has been for the betterment of humanity. 
everything he's been looking at to do is to how do I make this planet a better place? How do I make it a, 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 a better world? Which is not what drives most business leaders. No, unfortunately, that most not. business leaders are driven by money and returns and 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 financial metrics. Sadly, yeah, sadly. You know the measure of you know the, the continued thing of 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 returns to shareholders. Mm. Absolutely agree. Shareholders should get their returns. They should be taken care of, but they shouldn't be sacrosanct. It shouldn't be that it's the all only, about the shares. They're the not share. the only stakeholder. No, 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 mm. no. In fact, we've got to be looking in this new world, this the systemic world we're in. We've got to be looking right across the stakeholder chain, yeah. all the way through, uh, not only the the shareholders and and the, and 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 the customers and and our st- and the people in the business, very important stakeholders. But what about the citizens and what about our grandchildren and what about the ecosystem? What about the world? What is the world asking of us right now? So many of our leaders are saying, you know, what, are, what am I expecting of the world? And, and the thing is, is if, let's go back to that intentionality thing. If you start out from a me mindset, what's in it for me? Mm. Then the behaviors aren't going to follow very nicely mm. because people become dispensable. The ends justify the means. And we can go back whether it be Steinhoff, whether it goes back to Pamela, whether it goes back to WorldCom, whether it goes back to Enron, whether it goes back to Lehman Brothers. I mean, Lehman Brothers was a prime example. Mm-hmm. Richard, just, uh, Richard S. Full Jr. Was, uh, was a despicable leader. Mm-hmm. He was known as the gorilla. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he had a, a leadership style that said, uh, quote, unquote, I'll go down there and put my hand down his throat and tear out his heart. <laughs> Now, isn't that a wonderful way for your leader to speak about whatever stuff means? And he paid himself a, a, a multiples of mm. millions of dollars bonus in 2007, reportedly in excess of $100 million bonus. What did he do to deserve that? Put that aside. Mm. And along comes 2008, and they were prime, you know, primary in, 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 the, in, in the whole market crash. Yeah, yeah. And he was – and is an example of many of the leaders that suffer from hubris syndrome, mm. which needs to be separated from narcissists. You get narcissists, and narcissists is a psychological uh, condition, and yep. it is you know a, a psychological disorder. Hubris is a, is a is a syndrome that actually is caused as a consequence of success and wealth. And by the way, when the success and wealth goes away, the hubris syndrome goes away as well. Mm. Margaret Thatcher was a victim of hubris syndrome. Oh, yeah. Eventually, the MPs had to, had to get her to, to uh, stand down because mm. she was starting to make crazy decisions. Because what comes with the, 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 the hubris syndrome in time is delusion. You think you're always right. You, you, delusionment, and you start thinking that you're always right. Yeah. And unfortunately, we've got a wealth of these folk in our, in our political sphere mm. in South Africa. Mm. Not just South Africa, but particularly in South Africa, and we've got a whole bunch of them in that that, that prevail in different degrees in in business in our business mm. and and leaders. It, it's something that that should become part of a, of leadership training is to for leaders to develop an awareness of what hubris is, and to have for themselves an early warning system. Okay. Because you know you can, it's something you can manage and can mm. control. So much of it comes down to the choices we make. But you see, I go back to that thing of teachers, our schools, our colleges, university don't teach us life planning, decision making, goal setting. Some of them do now. I mean, that's that's all evolved. But going back historically, and and uh, career management. And so, as I go back to that thing about how do people make decisions? What are you making it on? And what is that fundamental? 
that fundamental purpose. What is your life purpose? And I'm getting quite esoteric and philosophical here, but if you can define in one statement, so let's look at the Stephen Covey, lovely example of how, what people say about you at your funeral or what is would your epitaph be or what have mm-hmm. you. But forget about the projecting, your know, legacy is not, projected to sometime when you die legacies today yeah because if that's what you want to be remembered for if you die today will people report that is that how they and if it isn't Mm. what do you have to change but if you can have a clear sense of what really is your nike swish just do it what is your just do it that you want to leave on the world that you want to leave in the relationships that you have that you want to leave in the in in how you engage in business and how you lead your people Mm. and how you engage with your customers that they know that's dependable that's consistent that's the underlying framework of who you are if you've got that defined now you've got a point of reference for every single decision you make am i reflecting that am i expressing that if not why am i doing it because and if it comes back to that i'm here to be a servant to you which is what our political leaders should really be Mm. we pay they paid to serve the people not to dictate to the people they're here to serve the people and business leaders are there to serve their customers and other stakeholders customers and their staff i mean at the end of the day they are privileged in the position of where they have all this influence and capability and vision and capacity and yes they are they are called upon to to be visionary they are called upon to set the stage and to set the tone but most of all it's not about uh, obviously what they do is important but it's much more about how do they show up and how do they do what they do what's that presence that they bring into the room and how do they engage people do they truly have empathy but you see if it's all just about me then the empathy tends to disappear and go out the door when it's when it's about you and it's about us it's about we let's make it a we thing which which includes me Mm -hmm. it's not about Pure altruism where you sacrifice yourself on the altar of we. Mm-hmm. This is actually about you know, the more you can, you can determine the we, the me, the more you can elevate the we, the me in the right way with good principles and good practice and good pursuits and continually overfilling your place, if I can put it that way, increasing yeah. your capacity, not just your capabilities and competencies, but your capacity to impact, influence, and add value. You know, so, so you then are, are able to add that much more to the equation, you know, able to give that much more. You can produce much more than you consume. Mm. And if we can create leaders that do that and are looking that way, then the rewards are automatic. Mm. Branson put it beautifully. He said, true entrepreneurs never set out to make money. They set out to do something nobody's ever done before, or do something better than anybody's done. As a consequence of that, they make money. Mm. So if money can become the consequence, I'm all for creating wealth. I'm all for uh, building that, but there's a, a beautiful expression that I've, I've, I've heard when I was a, a young man that I've kept all my life, and that is, true wealth is not by measured by how much you have, it's measured by your ability to share, and that's not just about sharing the money, it's about how do you take this you, mm. you know, we're only here for a short time. I had the privilege of meeting uh, Richard Branson Did you? Uh, probably about 15 years ago when he was uh, was out here, in fact I interviewed him on the back of a Learjet from Cape Town to Joburg, <laughs> um, and it, how was he? He was relaxed and completely chilled, and uh, you know, no, there was no sense of gross. ego about him. No. He, he, in fact, he apologised um, um, for his uh, his stuttering and and his mannerisms, and yeah. he he was really um, 
not what you'd expect of a billionaire. Yeah. But there's so many billionaires and, and company founders, and we see it in the tech industry, um, of, yeah. of examples of people with narcissistic personality disorders. Sure. Yeah. Why, why, why are so many CEOs in that category with, with their personalities? Is it something that happens to them because peep, the world adores them and then they're front page of the front cover of Forbes and Fortune and the Financial Times, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that, that ego kind of builds up as, 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 as people stroke their egos or do you think that they come to those positions when they start those companies? They're already narcissists. So I go back to my point and I think it would be, it would be great if we could do a, a separation and sift the wheat from the chaff of which mm. of those leaders are suffering from hubris and which of them are intrinsically narcissistic. Right. And, um, you know, if you're a narcissist, it's a pretty incurable thing. I mean, mm. that's just is what it is. And there's a almost uh, – look, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't want to sure. make statements here that are, that could be correct or disclaimer. Not medical yeah, advice. Not, not medical <laughs> advice. But, but let's just go with the fact that, mm. that there, there are those who come in and, and there are people who are narcissists and they're not nice people. And they're going to people are dispensable, and um, they, which does not mean they can't be hugely successful because mm. they often are brilliant people. That's part of what uh, comes with it, and they they able Steve to. Steve Jobs is a classic example. He's famous firing people in the elevator. Uh, people would get were terrified of getting into the elevator yeah. at Apple with Jobs uh, yeah. because he would ask them, well, "What do you do here? Tell me about about your job." And if, by the time the elevator ride had finished, and he wasn't. Convinced by us, he'd fire you in the elevator. I mean, that can't be normal behavior, right? That, that's definitely not normal behavior. And it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's not the way to run a company yeah. uh, that, that's sustainable. And yet Apple, look where Apple is look today how successful and look what it's done. Mm. And you know, mm. so people could get into huge debates about it. But, mm. but he's not there anymore. And I think that, yep. uh, you know, I think that, I do think that he mellowed. Okay. I do believe he mellowed mm. over time. And uh, particularly after he had left and come back and, mm. um, you know, he still was very eccentric fellow yeah. I mean as, as a lot of those leaders are exactly yeah. so it comes back to to you know what, what is this greater intention and what is the greater purpose that you're mm. working towards as a business what's the vision what is this lasting impression and, and it comes back to go back to this thing of you know you, we, we can talk about the payoff lines that many companies have you know, and Nike's a great one to, to use because it's so simple Nike swish the tick it's so it's so uh, visible and recognisable mm. just do it you know that that's that's stood the test of time and it's you know are you just do it well I, I can say to you that when nike first came into south africa it wasn't just do it mm. and that was because of the leader that they appointed as the ceo mm -hmm. was the cfo of the previous distributor who had less personality than the chair i'm sitting on <laughs> and uh <laughs> it was it was diabolical i mean it, you could see it in the absenteeism was off the charts yeah. dis dysfunctional uh, executive team etc so what is that payoff line that that you as an organization yeah. that speaks to the customer experience because at the end of the day how customers we don't own the brand mm. it lives in the hearts and minds of customers how they experience us is what our brand is so we can have all the pretty slogans and sayings and all the rest mm. of it do those things marry so brand identity is one thing and we can get very creative and very cool about it but it's actually about how do we make sure that that is seamlessly um, mirrored in a in a type of Mobius strip with the customer experience across mm. every touch point that that you know that that's mm. how you will be experience the company you know um 
Let's talk a bit about how you measure success in 2023. Um, I mean, we touched earlier on um, on how many companies focus on HEPs and EPS and EBITDA and net profit and all those things as, yeah. as the measure of their success. And certainly analysts are judging them and that's the thing that drives the share price at the end of the day. But you're saying there are more important things that should be used to measure a leader's success in an organization. What would you say are those top metrics Typically. So, so metrics is a big word. Mm. So, I mean, I think some of the things that, that are really important might be difficult to measure in the way that you would measure the, the tangible mm. EPS and EPS and, and what have you. But um, it most certainly plays out in, in, in how it, – it, it could be a measure, for example, in, in, um, in their turnover of staff, mm-hmm. you know, how many people are, are leaving your company. People don't – People don't leave companies, they leave managers, you know. And how, how does this play out? So there are all sorts of surveys and studies that can be done to check out the, the health of your company and, yeah. and where it is. Um, I think that, uh, in fact, there was something really interesting that was introduced in the UK called the Empathy Index, which they put into call centers and where they were actually able to measure increased ROI and return on capital employed um, within the call centers based on how their call center staff engage differently by having been inducted into and made aware of the importance of and the in, in, inculcation of an empathetic approach to sure. to how they dealt with particularly inbound callers. A lovely story, just an aside. There's, sure. there's, a, there's a story of, of a, America's got lots and lots and lots of lawnmower hire companies. Okay. And they have untold numbers of legal suits against them for people who do all sorts of bizarre injuries to themselves with lawnmowers. You'd think that people were sensible and, 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 and didn't uh, hurt themselves, but they do. And one particular company reduced their number of, of legal actions against them by a thousand percent. Do you know what they did? They said, sorry. That's all I did. They just said sorry. They said sorry. Mm. We're so sorry. Mm. Instead of getting on the back foot and fighting and mm. dogging, they said sorry. Mm. They introduced that, that, that human element, that human condition. We're living in a world where people are super stressed. We're living in a world where people go back to the COVID thing of you, mm. here you are. You've, you talked about the leaders and how do they manage to do that? How could they continue to create uh, continuity of culture as mm-hmm. people left and pe- new people were hired? Companies had to do that, and but they weren't coming into an office where they got immersed in this in this culture because mm. culture is the way we do things around here. Culture is the collective behaviours and and what people see and feel. And people, of course, were at home being hit by the tsunami of negative content from all the media, half of which wasn't even true, and spiralling into states of fear and anxiety. And uh, and 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 we saw medical disorders soaring anxiety disorder soaring, mm. we saw suicide rates soaring, divorce rates soaring. Mm. And leaders having to, to really manage that uh, without knowledge. How did, they, how did they manage to do this? And we now in this post time where some companies have got the, hy- got the hybrid work thing, which is working for some mm. companies and really not working for others. And for some people, they don't want to go back to work and others are happy to go back to work and you've got this whole mishmash of things and, and a lot of people still remaining remote. So the world continues to evolve and change. And in the midst of it, we've seen unprecedented levels of burnout. Mm-hmm. Deloitte and McKinsey is reporting ridiculous percentile 
of burnout in the workplace. We, it's part of what we do. We, we've got diagnostics that actually measure the resilience levels and, and self-worth levels and burnout levels right now in mm. the moment. This is, not, this is not speculative. It's an actual uh, neuroscience uh, tool measuring it and uh, registered with the Health Professional Council of, of South Africa. And, and, and so we're seeing un, unprecedented levels of people in, uh, going into burnout. And uh, that's, that's very challenging because, one, it's not a clinical condition. Clinical depression is, you know, that that's a clinical depression, not burnout. It's never been. De- de- it's it's a syndrome. It's not not defined as a, as a clinical condition, and people don't put their hands up and say, "Hey, by the way, I'm burning out." Mm. Um, some eventually get to that place, mm. but so how do you know? How do you know how many of your people are burning out? What are the levels? You know, and 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 so you've got the issue of absenteeism, but what about presenteeism? What's presenteeism? Is it's those people that are at work. But, but not really there. Mm. They're absent. Mm. And you've got people who are operating in this state of fear and anxiety where if you go into the whole thing of, of creativity and innovation, that comes out of prefrontal cortex, out of your executive brain. And when you're in a state of fear, you don't go into your, 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 your executive brain. And so people will be getting doing what they've done before, putting out the work. So the, you look from a distance and, yes, the people are working. In fact, they're working harder. No, they're not really. They're working longer because they, they've been staying at home and they haven't got anything else to do. <laughs> so the things are blurring and they're, they're flowing over into these different things. And so the measures are a little bit blurry. And so leaders are having to step back and think differently about how they're going to engage. And it starts with, how do I engage? Mm-hmm. How am I engaging with myself? Am I okay? Because you've got a whole lot of leaders that are in states of fear and, mm-hmm. and, and not just the, the old fear motivation thing. Often a CEO is the most stressed person in the organization. Usually, and, and they've got nobody to talk to. Mm. Who do they speak to? And so they're having to make calls on their own. And let's go back to if their intentionality is how do we collectively create a better place? How do we – you ask for the measures or in the metrics. So mm. I'm saying to you, this, it's, it's actually around the health and well-being of the people of your organization. Is that a role of the HR director to coach the CEO when he is facing a stressful no. situation? No. no. How does the CEO – I mean, it's a very lonely position to be in. You're under severe well, stress. Your company perhaps is in trouble. Um, how, do you, how do you get past that? I mean, it must feel like a very deep place – a deep hole so, to be in, yeah. uh, potentially. If you don't have anyone around you, you can turn to. So you, you speak right to the sweet spot of things. Think about this. No single that I know of, professional sports person, sports team, Olympian, doesn't have a whole bunch of coaches. Mm. And it's a natural given. And you know what? Their world's much less complex compared to that of, 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 of business leaders. Mm. There are much more dependencies for business leaders, much more variables and uncertainties. As a, as, a, as a javelin thrower, all I've got to do is get out and make sure that I throw the javelin the best way to eat the right foods, get the right sleep, do the right exercise. So why would it be that you wouldn't have – so I mean the top, top, top mm. golfers, tennis players – have got great coaches. We've seen how what a big difference it made. You, you think of the, the the Olympic swimmers, for example, in the last Olympics, where the difference between the top three or four were were hundreds of a second. What is making that difference? So how do we as executives in this clearly uncertain space, with uncertainty not just in the workplace, but at home, in my personal life, and, and what am I doing? How do I find my way? And yeah, um, we all stand up, you know, mm 
self-made people, particularly South Africans, the men, you know. But we, we're talking not just about men, we're talking about people of all levels, of all genders, of all classes. You've know, got lots of amazing women in business and women leaders, and may there be more and more of them that emerge. But, you know, we've got to find a way for, for that. And, and having an external coach um, makes a whole lot of sense. And it's not about, oh, you need coaching. The moment you say that, you've got the whole movie wrong. Mm. You can benefit enormously by having a truly professional, appropriately aligned coach to work with you mm. um, because it's not about that you, you're broken and need to be fixed. Mm. This is actually about how do we take this excellence of you yeah. and move it to that next, excuse me, to that next level of play and of being. I suppose when you've got a huge ego, though, it's very difficult to admit that you, you need help. <laughs> but I'll go back to the point. Let's, mm. not, let's not call it needing help. Mm. Let's say, you know what? There's, there's so much that there's, there's, there's four categories of knowledge. There's things that we know that we know. There's things that we know that we don't know. There's things that we don't know that we know, such as our unconscious competencies, which we've acquired as a consequence of what we've done, not a focus of what we've done. And then there's the, the vast expanse of things that we don't know that we don't know, including about ourselves and our own potential. We're only using a fraction of our potential. And our, the, the being that I am is just the sum total of the choices and the actions and the experience of that I've had today. Mm. And as great or otherwise as it may be, how much more are we than what we've become? We're much more than what we've become. And if we hold on to it, the principle is our best is yet to come. And how do we get that? Because everybody's got blind spots. And some of us have got a whole bunch of sabotage patterns. And we've got our unconscious competencies. So why don't we find a way to unlock these things and to become aware of them so that we can, we can leverage them and manage it better and, and, and learn to not only change the lenses that we're looking at the world, but let's change the vantage point that we're looking at it from. Because you see, if I'm sitting here always looking in this direction, that's the extent of my view. But if I turn to the side and I look behind me, I find that there's, there's so much more I haven't even seen. So how do we get ourselves in the busyness of today and the run, 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 run? And so what we're saying is, guys, let's just move from being human doings to being human beings. Let's get back to the being bit of it. Let's get back to the realization that you know, life, death is a finite point, whatever that is. Every day we've got one day less to do all the things in life we want to do. 86,400 seconds in your bank account. That gets cleared every day. So you better enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> are, you, are you living a life well lived? Are you living a full life? Is this everything? There was a lovely example. I forget who it was, but it's such a great thing. Of We're all juggling balls and seemingly more and more balls. Some of them are rubber. Others are glass. None of the business balls or glass. They're all rubber. What are the glass balls? Health, family, friendship, love, contribution, legacy. The business balls you can drop. There might be consequences. There might be money lost. There might be stuff. Might get fired. But you drop, you drop the health ball. <laughs> yeah. You drop the life ball. What are the sacrifices that these so many leaders have made along the way? in terms of their relationships, their families, their, mm. you know, we, the whole thing. I mean, it's, this almost sounds cliched, but remember, behind every cliche is a, is, a, is a very deep truth that just it's become lip service. And, and you know, the, 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 that whole story of, you know, what's really, 
what's really important for life. Mm. You know, what's really, you know, that we, we got all these things coming at us under the banner of urgent. Yes. Urgent, urgent, urgent. Got to do this now. Got to do this. I must, I have to, I got to. And you put aside the vital things. So quality time with your kid, not urgent. If you, if you skip today, it's fine. You know, if you skip the the if you skip the training session today, it's not it's not critical. But if you skip it tomorrow and the next day and the next day, we now fall into a trap of you're no longer exercising, you're not eating right, you're not mm. sleeping right. Ask your busy executives, ask them those three questions around their baseline states. You know, how are you how are you living? Mm. Reminds me, crazy I, I know you're a, a fellow rock music fan, Brian, hey, and uh, so you'll. Remember the uh, song Time by Pink Floyd, which of course covers a lot of that ground. Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. Exactly. Fritter and waste the hours in an old friend way. <laughs> Kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for something or someone to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, laying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is yours and always something more to say. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. Wow, you know the lyrics. <laughs> How often does that happen to people? Mm. You suddenly look around and what happened to my life? Where did it go? Mm. And the thing is as well, you see, we've got to get a mindset of realization. We're living longer and living healthier. And our financial planning for retirement, that mm. R word, not going to really shape up for most people unless you create independent wealth. And, you know, the, the line is sort of 60 Maybe earlier, maybe maybe a bit later. Mm. You know, countries like the Netherlands support older people staying on. So that so yeah. And what if you live to, to ninety or ninety five, or or longer? I mean, look at what we're doing with stem cell, nano, uh, you know, biotech, and all the rest of it. What are you going to do? You know, the retirement planning is not about the money, man. Mm -hmm. It's about what's the lifestyle you're introducing now in living richly and fully that, by the way, will help you to show up better at work. That'll show you up more engaged, more energized, more creative. What are you doing for creativity? Because so much of the world that we live in is all about left brain, task, numbers, measure. What about the creativity? Oh, no, I'm not a creative person. Nonsense. We all are. It's about, you might not be a, a, a world-famous artist, but, you know, how, how, how are you spending, are you spending any time stepping into that space? All right, Brian, I'm, I'm going to pivot the conversation a little sure. bit. I want to talk about uh, talent and, uh, and specifically in the South African context, yeah. talk about skills yeah. here. We, we know that immigration has spiked again. Yeah. Um, the country's in um, all sorts of trouble. Uh, and particularly in the IT sector, we've seen a lot of... Um, Talent leaving. I think uh, we all know we've all got family or friends who've yeah. who've left to go and live in another country. Worried about the future of this country. Um, from a skills and talent perspective, I mean, this is one of the roles, one of the areas that SICAN specialises in: yeah. finding senior leadership to to fill um, important roles in the economy. Um, what's it like out there? Is it? I mean, can you find? You you are often asked to find talent to fill a particular role yeah. how difficult has that become so i'm very happy to report that um we continue to find amazing gems okay of people uh and that's across demographics um uh, in high difficulty 
index uh, searches. Okay. Uh, you know, not not easy at all. In fact, somehow it seems to be our, our area of specialization, and it's not like we go out and seek it, you know, <laughs> with, with the intent. But you know, these guys come along, and we'd like this. You know, right. you want one of those? Okay, <laughs> really? Okay, let's just uh, let me just. You don't. You know, you yeah. want uh, you want not only to walk on water, you want them to leave footprints. You know, it's yeah. a, it's um, and yet we we get to find these people, and part of it part of it is also applying a. A different mindset, and of course, it, it it'll differ if you're hiring somebody for a very specific technical function, right? Where they've got to either have that technical skill and do it really well, okay. But when you've moved into the let's call it the leadership space, it's amazing how you can transport people and migrate people from one industry to another, depending on once again the the the, the context and the the requirement. And allow them to to migrate into a new space and bring with them those unconscious competencies, that mm. presence, that stature, that ability to understand business and to make business happen and mm-hmm. tick, and importantly to be a profound leader. So it goes back to also again why they're doing it, and and so we will spend an inordinate amount of time in the in the even before we present opportunities and present people in in getting them to go very deep in terms of where they're at in their lives what are they mm. doing why would they be doing it what's their next runway of of pursuit so that they're making a decision not about what's the role what's the money what's the wealth creation what's mm. the the pedigree those are all important they're not imperatives imperatives are what's the challenge what's the stretch what's the strategic alignment what's the growth what's it about this role that's going to cause me to increase my capacity and impact etc and and you'll be surprised that there there are a lot of great people out there having said that we've lost a lot of great talent a lot of great talent and continue to mm-hmm. and a lot of great leaders and, and so part of that I think is just part of a people wanting to work abroad in the natural course of events it's just gotten that much more exacerbated by the concern particularly for young emerging leaders around who have got families to say you know I need to get my kids into a space where there's a a better platform for opportunity for them from an education, from a a career perspective. When you look at the unemployment figures in this country, mm-hmm. you know, people with young, uh, emerging young adults, it must be, goodness me, how are we going to, how are we going to manage for them? Because it's it's a scary, a scary landscape. And, and we as a country need to do something about it urgently on many, many levels. And that's a subject mm-hmm. for other day we can sort of touch on that, sure. but but yeah, it's there's there's talent, but there's a there's a very real there's a really a very real outflow, and it's mm-hmm. about how do you um, comes back to <laughs> um, this is not a cookie cutter thing. This is how companies approach their acquisition of strategic talent uh, is quite dismal mm-hmm. in many respects, um, and it plays out in the conversations we have when we discover um, actually how inexperienced they are and how they haven't thought it through. Um, you know, so often the hiring process is as a consequence of a departure. Mm-hmm. It's a reactive process. It's not a proactive, you know what, we see this coming down the line in six, nine months or mm. our current leader is going to be 
either promoted or moved on or they've got a retirement plan ahead of them. That's a very small percentile of the time of the mandates that, that come about. Most yeah. of them is because somebody suddenly stepped up and stepped in. Sadly, might, one of them, somebody might have passed away, but more often they've moved off to, to another, another, another mm-hmm. pasture and they hurriedly now wanting to, to, to replace them. Succession planning in the world of work never was great. In most companies, some of them got it right, but the world's changing so fast and so differently. And what the organization was five years ago and the leader it needed then may be very different now. We might have moved from a, a fairly static organization into a highly acquisitive organization. Mm. Maybe the, the, the strategic decisions to, to go for a gro- an accelerated growth model and you, you're needing a different type of executive and a transition executive to come in rather than a caretaker executive. And so the per- people that you were grooming up the internal candidates, and yes, it's always great to promote from within, don't necessarily stack up. And we, we're seeing that rather often, uh, Duncan, that that the internal talent is not necessarily not good or got great potential, but it's not ready to make that that, that step up into mm-hmm. that bigger job. And the companies then have to go externally. And, and then it comes down to how do they do that? You know, And of course, uh, for many uh, it's an expensive exercise, and companies would like to, if they could, not have to incur the, the, the perceived cost of, 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 of hiring it, uh, putting aside what's the cost of doing it wrong? What's mm. the cost of not doing it right? You know, what are you not going to get by, by, doing it, by, by doing it that way? And, you know, old school boy networks are all good and, you know, uh, yeah, references are good and all the rest of it. Bring those into the equation. Mm-hmm. My recommendation is, you know, apply a scientific uh, a, a method of both science and art to do this properly, because the 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 the, the war for talent is definitely on the increase. Um, it's going to be tougher and tougher to find really great talent, and don't fall into the trap of promoting people beyond their readiness, not beyond their ability or potential, but beyond their readiness, because you don't want to set people up to fail. Mm. And we've seen a lot of that happen over time. I had an instance some years back where we, we had to find a, a CFO for uh, a small cap uh, uh, listed tech company. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the candidates that got put in front of me was a young young lady who um, had um, a BE candidate who had – she was a CA. Mm-hmm. And she had had three jobs in four years. So I asked her to come and see me. And she came and I said – this is not going to go the way you thought it was. I said to her, I want you to go back to your job and not put your head up mm. for three years. I need you to get your head down and get some depth and breadth of experience because you're just committing um, you know, professional suicide. Because companies are looking through their fingers and mm. allowing people to make these moves is not a good move because it gives people the perception that it's okay. It's not okay. We need to be building – it goes back to move away from the principle, and this is, I'd love to get more and more people to get on this, on this journey. Move away from the concept and principle of a linear CV. Yeah. You know, went to school, studied, did that, did that, doing this now. That's all good and well, and it tells a certain story, but it only tells part of the story. And you know, shortness of tenure isn't a good thing, and also length of tenure isn't necessarily saying mm. all that much either. It's think about it as a portfolio, a holistic portfolio of offering. Think of yourself, although you're in, a, in, in the formal sector and you're working for an employer and you're an employee, think of yourself as a PDY limited. Your knowledge, your expertise, your, your learning, all mm. those things, everything that makes you you is your, is your offering. 
Is it in an increasing or diminishing market? How do you price it? How do you package it? How do you take it to market? What R&D do you do on it? How do you sell it? How do you manage it? And, and what, what's most important at any point in time for anybody out there in the world of work, particularly in today's world, you've got to answer three questions. People needing to be optimally relevant, mobile and marketable. You've got to be optimally effective. Mm. You've got to be building this portfolio of accomplishments. It's not about how many years have you been in the job. It's what have you done? What have the achievements been? What did you do to contribute to that? And, and, and to continually have that mindset and to be willing to go the extra mile and to do what it takes to, to build this portfolio. Because that way, um, you know, your company's going to want you more and more <laughs> and take care of you and look after you. And you're going to position yourself optimally to, for promotion and for, for further opportunities of growth. But it also means in this world of change and what have you, that you are positioned to be effective. And also you then, it becomes a conscious thing. It's not just I'm going to work and doing my job every day. It's actually mapping out and thinking about it and, and asking yourself the question, how am I able to actually move to that next level of impact and capability in, in what I do? What do I need to learn? What do I need to read? What do I need to study? Let me be, you know, how do I become increasingly uh, uh, curious about the world that we're in today? How do I become increasingly expectant? Um, the whole principle of gratitude, having an attitude of gratitude and having, having uh, the willingness to, to contribute hope in the whole equation. You know, each of us as leaders, regardless of our level, um, are in essence merchants of hope. We're there to actually express confidence and assuredness and certainty in terms of not necessarily what the outcome is going to be, what the world's going to be, but in terms of our ability to show up and to make the most out of whatever situation we find ourselves in mm. and being able to rally people and bring them together and to give them that inspiration and helping them to see and to realize that they, they too can be more than what they've become. Brian, before I let you go, you, you, you've, um, you've immersed yourself in the subject of leadership for decades. Yeah. Um, there's clearly a leadership problem in our political system, yeah. not just here in South Africa, but we see this in, in right. other markets around the world, the US, the UK has been through its, yeah. through its uh, challenges lately, Liz Trust, for example. Yeah. And and in South Africa, the, there's a there's a there's a common view that you know we we come up with good ideas, but they never seem to get implemented. Um, what's gone wrong, both globally and in South Africa, with with politics? Why why are poor leaders being appointed? Um, what's behind this, and how does it get fixed? So let's take South Africa to start with. Mm. Um, it's a challenge of of an almost one party state right it's been for a very long time been in power too long yeah mm -hmm. you know your your uh, opposition has has sort of been there as a as a as a noise mm. but not really a, a, you know like we've party seen in government. the states where you've mm. got the republicans and democrats literally boxing all the way through and it can go either way mm. you know and therefore people in principle having to be kept on their toes and and the problem also is is that that the longer that that stays in place, mm -hmm. the more accustomed we become to it, the more comfortable we become to it, and the more potential exists if your leaders aren't truly of integrity and mm -hmm. and authenticity and of good intent, that things get lost in translation. And mm -hmm. particularly when in the South African context, there's that element of well, it's you know we 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 needing to, and I'm not saying that there isn't 
very real substance in the fact that there needed to be a correction and a writing of 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 the system and and creating equal opportunity and opening the world up. But I don't see the people, the man in the street, having had equal opportunity. Mm. I just see people. You know, the, 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 the usual the, the poverty gap has, has has gotten bigger and bigger, yeah. and and we've seen a whole lot of people being enriched that uh, enormously, and and as a consequence, we see a government that it's about protecting the party first before mm. it's about actually taking care of the people. Mm. You know, we just in, in every sphere, whether it's in health and in, and in, in, so vital in 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 education. We've got the whole literacy thing that's going down at the moment, where we came out ranked the lowest out of all the countries surveyed, eight, fifty-eight countries. Pathetic, uh, pathetic score. And 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 the next was Egypt, and it was double our score. <laughs> I mean, that's like wow. What are we doing here? Eighty percent of of children in grade four have, have got zero literacy, and and that's in their home tongue. Never mind in in other language. So, I mean, we see a, a massive problem there, and and it goes back to what what's the agenda? What's the intention here? And and the problem is when when you know. A, it's like gangrene. Mm. You know, so when your little toe gets gangrene, you know, you don't want to cut it off because it's been with you all your life and you like your little toe. And it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a friendly little fellow. And so you'll, you'll wait a little while and then next thing it's the foot. So, you know, well, let's just hang around while I get a prosthesis made. And then it's like, well, oops, hang on. Now it's the leg and now it's – and all of a sudden it's consumed us, you know, mm. and it, it gets pretty dodgy when the gangrene starts at the head, you know. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? If you decapitate it, you get killed anyway. So, I mean, it's a bit, a bit of a bad metaphor. But, <laughs> but, but I think what, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, when you start going down a slippery slope mm. of inappropriateness, it, it then if it isn't checked, it just – Manifest. Cascades. Yeah. So you you and I are on a plane to to uh, let's assume a non-stop flight from London to Sydney. It's a long flight, mm -hmm. and we leave. And it so happens that the the flight is just half a degree off course. When we fly over the channel, we're not going to notice it. But when we get to where we think Sydney is, mm -hmm. we're going to be a long way from it. And that's the problem here is that we've we've moved off course. We had Madiba Mandela come in with mm -hmm. great vision and great principle for you know a rainbow nation for you know putting together what we should have. And we've just seen as we've gone along the way the lack of accountability. So for me, the biggest flaw that's resided in our space is the lack of accountability. No one gets held accountable. Mm. We've had committee on committee, upon mm. inquiry, upon whatever, Zonda Commission, all these things, please show me where people are taken mm. accountable in fact, and held accountable. There are ministers who have been implicated in Zonda who are still sitting in Ramaphosa's yeah. cabinet, I know. like the minister of, uh, no, not the minister, he changed positions. Zizi Kodwa was the minister of state security. He was directly implicated in the, in the Zonda report and there's been nothing done yeah. about him. So, so that that for mm. me is a challenge, mm. and, I, and and what's sad here is that I'm not saying that every single politician is nefarious or, or of of ill intent, but sure. I think that you know you you, you up against a up against a, a very large force of people who don't want to 
you know, we, we're feeding at the trough and, mm. and it's, it's, it's fun and it's good and it's great and it's enriching and our families are being enriched and there's that element of, well, it's, you know, it's, it's only fair and appropriate and it's our turn and all that sort of good stuff. And, and you know, I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I have political views and what have you, but sure, for me, it's mm-hmm. about how do we how do we f- get real here yeah. on the ground, and let's find collaborative effort between, but sincere collaborative effort between government and business, and being able to to actually put in place those systems that actually work mm. and that get to feed the people and get to to reduce the poverty gap and get to educate our children and to provide them decent health care. And when you appoint a mayor like we have done in Johannesburg, <laughs> my goodness me, <laughs> need we say no more? Mm. You know, we, we, we and, and that becomes all part of this this wrangling and jostling and positioning for 2020, uh, for 2024 and how are we going to stack up and show up? Guys, we've got to get the agenda right here. You know, we're in Rome and it's burning and, and there's no point in fiddling. You know, let's like get down to let's get down to putting out the fires mm. and actually building a, an incredible nation because we are a nation of great people. We are, we've shown that time after time after time. All the predictions of, of 1994, the Secret Service went back to the American government two weeks before the elections and said, there's going to be a civil war. Well, guess what? We had a, a violent free elections mm-hmm. two weeks later. We had the World Cup in 2010 where everybody said, oh, no, no, can't be. The best run, most uh, you know, successful up until that point in time World Cup that was ever run. We, we made it happen. It was incredible how we, we were able to do that in the moment. Why can't we rally and pull together and come together? And it's about some people putting up their hands and saying, you know what? I'm not perfect, and you know what? I haven't done it right, and you know what? I think let me take it on the chin, and let's uh, let's let's now just get down and do the jobs that we've been paid to do. Mm-hmm. Let's because uh, when you start going down into and looking at the municipalities, we looked at the issue on the roads of in the Eastern Cape, and and how it's impacting economies, jobs, livelihoods, agriculture. You know, mm-hmm. guys, fix it. Fix it. Just, you know, oh, sorry, we're trying to, but now we've got no money. Well, you know, yeah, who took the money and where did it go? And, you know, and it all just gets down to sweep it under the carpet, let mm. it go, water on the bridge, move on. We can't do that. So this is about about rallying like-minded, like-resolved people with good intent to actually do that. And there needs to be a system of of – of integrity that gets uh, introduced mm. into into the appointment of leadership. It yeah. can't just be around, um, oh, I know this guy, or nepotism, or family, or whatever, or let's actually do this on a basis of, like you were, you're, you're running a business? Mm. Are you just going to, okay, well, let's just appoint the son, or the cousin, or somebody you know is a friend. Let them come in and run this multi-billion rand business. Oh, dear me, the business uh, crap. People won't do that. Well, sometimes they do, and then at, at great cost. But, but you know, for the most part, when, when, when you're hiring in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a private sector company or a listed company, there should be a fair amount of diligence done. Uh, we see lots of examples, I won't quote names here, of, oh, my goodness, you've had four CEOs in two years. <laughs> what are you doing wrong? Your whole mindset's wrong around how you you're seeing the whole thing uh, through the wrong set of lenses. Apply yourselves. Apply the right finances. Put the you know spend the money now. Get the right person in. What's the cost of hiring the wrong person? What's the cost of engaging the wrong politician? 
We need people who can get the job done. This is not about sitting behind desks and pontificating and, you know, mm-hmm. rallying, not even rallying, just, you know, waving hands. This mm-hmm. is actually about getting people in who are going to get the job done. And the examples of those mayors that have stepped in and stepped up to the plate and uh, made amazing impacts and successes and changes. And then you look at other municipalities and they, they're completely bankrupt and completely mm-hmm. impoverished. Mm. It's about the people. At the end of the day, it's about the people. It's about, it's about, the, about the leaders. It's about the leaders. About the leaders. And I suppose voters have a responsibility too in that they, they need to elect. And they should the be informed, right properly people. informed. Mm. There should be, you know, this is part of the problem is we go to the polls next year. How many yeah. people are just not going to vote? Mm. They're angry with their party, so they're not going to vote. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Can't do that. You've got to vote. You've got to make a choice. It's so important that think about let's go back to if if, if people and I mean you can if people stopped and said, What world are we leaving for our grandchildren? If my you know, if I was to face my grandchildren in twenty five years time, what would they say to me? What is the world that I've left them? If everybody had that view and said, What is the world that we're leaving for our grandchildren? What example are we setting to our children? I mean, I've said this often, you know, we don't inform children, mm. we form them. We form them by the example we set and the love that we show them. And if our our, our actions match our, their, our words, they'll internalize it and they'll grow up and live that out and we can create a better world. So how are we, what example are we setting to our children? What are, what is the, What is our conviction of? What are we, you know, what what are we convicted of in terms of, of uh, purpose and 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 value and and transfer. It's easy to say it's not my responsibility. It's easy to say let somebody else do it. Let's start with picking up litter. Look at uh, look at uh, Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Genocide, horror, horror. Come off the back of it. Paul Kagame comes into power, introduces something called Umuganda. Umuganda is a law whereby once a month on the last Saturday of every month, everyone, including the president. Businesses close, everything shuts down. Everybody, by law, goes out and picks up litter. Mm-hmm. Today, Rwanda is one of the three cleanest countries in the world. And it's gone beyond picking up litter because now it's pretty clean and tidy. It's gone into community contributions and working in housings. And when the man in the street gets interviewed, they say, it's interesting, it's law, but it's actually become lifestyle. Interesting. It's become lifestyle. So what's the lifestyle that we're inculcating into our children and the youth today? What's happening in these schools where the teachers aren't qualified and they're getting in there because the unions are allowing people to bribe and, and put people in? And So we see this malady and this malaise of, of, of ills and it would be so easy to just capitulate and to mm-hmm. roll over and say, oh, it's too big a job. We can't do it. We're not going to get it right. We can. Mm-hmm. Much bigger things have been achieved by mankind before. And it's about how do we, how do we start with ourselves as self-leaders and, and increasing our self-awareness and our consciousness and being able to say, well, what am I going to do today? How am I going to lead my family, lead my, my, my business, show up, and what am I going to do that's going to be different? Mm-hmm. That's going to be one step further in terms of setting the right example. Let's pick up the papers. Let's pick up the letters. Let's not wait for somebody else to do it. And we're seeing that starting to happen in communities where they're getting together and they're saying, if we wait for government, we're going to get nothing. Let's fix it ourselves. The guys that are fixing potholes in, in, mm. in their spaces and coming together. So let's get more of that. And, but then let's find a way to hold government accountable. 
And that's not an easy task. And I don't have any, I don't have a, a, a magic wand and a box of magic tricks and I don't have a silver bullet. All I'm saying though is- Well, is we get to hold them accountable next year. Hold accountable. Let's go back to political values are based on social values, which are based on individual values. So if we get the individual values right, and create a groundswell of the right individual values, we will shift the social values. And if we shift the social values appropriately and sufficiently, we'll shift the political values. Mm -hmm. And that way we can make that permanent change. But it starts with me in the pursuit of we. Mm -hmm. Looks like, sounds like a good point to uh, end the discussion, Brian. Fascinating insights as always. Thanks so, so much for joining us. What a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. Tech Central Show. Uh, your MD of, uh, CMD, CEO, what's your title? Founder? Um, my, t my card actually says Merchant of Hope, but my, <laughs> my title is I'm actually the CEO of Psycan. Psycan, and that's online at psycan.ca.za. That is indeed. C-Y-C-A-N.ca.za. Brian, it's always good to chat to you. Thanks so much for Fantastic, joining thank us. Thank you for the opportunity. Pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.